1: Oh, and welcome to the AEW Rampage review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by one of the dadly boys, Michael Sidgwick from What Culture, to review everything that happened on Friday night's episode of AEW Rampage. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts where we not only review AEW Rampage, but also AEW Dynamite, Raw Smackdown, the show formerly known as NXT 2 but- Oh! Pay per views, premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a round of the week complete with a good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. As I said, though, joined by Michael Sidgwick for a review Friday night's episode of. Hey, I just
0: made you. And this is crazy,
1: but here's my number. This is red, baby. baby. <laughs> <laughs> and what did you make of this week's show, Sid? Uh,
2: well, put it this way, Will Bourne. I kind of desperately need a piss but I elected not to go before I walked into the studio because I'm hoping like, it gives me a sense of physical urgency to talk <laughs> about the show because otherwise I've got precious little to say. I'll bury what needs to be buried and I'll put over something you didn't think as a long-time listener that I wouldn't ever put over. But my God, this was... Uh, I'm trying to speak in the vernacular of the youth. Younger and more hipper people than myself. Uh, this was in there. How do they say? How would they put this? This was a dark elevation ass card. <laughs> My God, there were two matches here where I'm thinking, I don't need to see this. No. Uh, there's only one reason why I'm seeing it. It's almost insulting, particularly given how at their peak AEW was told stories to such a great degree. This was so inessential, functional. I know why you're doing this. It theoretically makes something a bit more legitimate and credible, but my God, let, let's not take the piss. Yeah. It was uh, one of those cards
1: where... It was Elevation. Yeah, we you looked at you it. You thought you were watching it on YouTube. We looked at it, and I was like, Ugh. and I was like, well, no, be nice to see the Elite back in. I completely forgot, by the way, this was actually for the trio's titles. I just thought it was a trios match. Why wasn't it an eliminator? Well, this is the weird thing is because it was the double whammy of, oh, a trios championship match. I mean, no one thinks they're obviously yeah, going to lose yeah. here. They've got the, the bigger matches on Dynamite. And as if to compound that fact, I think during maybe the introductions for this, they were like, don't forget... Young Bucks and Kenny Omega defending those trios championships on Wednesday. Oh, cool. So they're definitely not losing it here then. Not that I ever thought that they would.
2: Odd. Not the first lapse in continuity mm. in thought that affected AEW last week. And, uh, yeah, actually, I saw someone
1: on Twitter saying like, if for anyone asking whether or not they need to watch Rampage, no. watch the trios match. That's, it's fun. It was a fun match.
2: It was very impressive. All kinds of impressive. Really which liked, we'll, uh, which we'll get to.
1: Really liked Isaiah Cassidy. Maybe that's just my opinion changing on him after how they set the match up. And the How thing. did
2: they set the match up, Wilborn? Um,
1: I think he said something along the lines of... Uh, <laughs> look at you, you've popped yourself. Uh, but everything else was kind of skippable or at the bare, uh, to be the nicest. I'll catch up with the 30-second clip that they'll post on Twitter afterwards of... Tony Storm and Soraya channeling their NWO. Anyway, let's get into it because, yeah, it opened with the elites Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks defending the AW World Trios Championships against, they still called the firm, Ethan Page, Matt Hardy, and Isaiah Cassidy. Um... I suppose, technically, Ethan Page owns Matt Hardy and Isaiah Cassidy's contract, so they just have to be a part of the firm legally. Um, yeah, and it was during the match that they put that graphic up about the Chios titles match on Dynamite. Not with, like, winner of this match! Just, they will definitely be the only Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Bucks and Kenny Omega, um, surprise, surprise, pass this on. Pretty good wrestlers. Pass it on. Uh, there's a nice double-team move where one buck hit a neck breaker. Uh, on Cassidy, and he fell into like a backbreaker from another another Jackson brother, which I thought looked great. <laughs> and also, poor, poor Jim Ross. Um, this is nothing against him either. He was just given the toughest sell job of all time because in comes Kenny Omega and Matt Hardy, and Jim has to try and make this feel like this is, you know, Hogan and Andre, <laughs> where it's just like, eh, eh, one's in his prime and one's... To be nice, not yes. So um, it didn't really, really work that that setup. But still, uh, Hardy sends Omega out to the floor. Think looks like he's going to moonsault to the floor, and I thought, Matt, you're going to die if you do that. Um, but in amongst all this, it's Ethan Page who the story of this match is him going out the way. Matt, I'll take the glory here. So he made a blind tag and hit Omega with a forearm off the apron. Uh, he tries to do a sort of triple team thing on Omega. Um, but it backfires and uh, it allows Omega to hit Page with a Hurricane Rana. Um There's a double drop kick from the books onto Hardy. And um, Cassidy gets caught in a wheelbarrow position uh, for Omega to hit that great bulldog of his. I think it was Nick takes out both Page and Cassidy on the outside with a dive. But uh, Matt Jackson hits a Northern Lights suplex on Hardy and then on Page. Page distracts Matt Jackson, though. That allows Hardy to hit the side effect for a two count. Um, they go to break when we come back. Page uh, catches Matt Jackson with a super kick and brings in Hardy, who does the delete thing eh, on the turnbuckles. <laughs> um, it's a sit-down power bomb for a near fall. Page, though, he's like, I'm coming in again. He comes off the middle ropes right into a huge super kick from Matt Jackson that looked great. Uh, Omega comes in. He dominates, takes out Page and Cassidy with Polish hammers. Hits the "You Can't Escape" on Ethan Page. Um, goes for a Dragon Suplex, but Page gets him into the corner, and they all triple team Omega. Um, Cassidy tries to spring off Hardy's back back to Splash Omega, but the Jacksons hit him with a great super kick here. Um, Hardy and Omega knock each other out with a double clothesline, and Nick and uh, Isaiah Cassidy come off opposite corners with sentons on their opponent. That's look great. Um, Cassidy hits Nick with a flat liner off the middle rope. Matt hits Cassidy with a super kick. Paige yanks Matt Jackson into a vertical power slam. I always think that looks amazing. Yeah. Uh, and Omega hits Paige with a V-trigger. Everyone gets up. Nick and Cassidy are in there exchanging forearms. Cassidy hits an enziguri. Um, They avoid the charge in the corner. Um, hits Cassidy with a bulldog. They go for this triple super kick but uh, Hardy and Page pull out Omega, and I think it was Matt Jackson out of the ring, and Cassidy hits this great Canadian destroyer. Um, Page and Cassidy pull Matt off the ropes with an iconoclasm and then whipped Matt into a Hardy twist of fate for a uh, near fall. Page goes for the ego's edge on Matt Jackson, but Omega Omega hits him with a V-trigger. Hardy sends Omega out. Hardy catches uh, Ethan Page accidentally with a right-hand... Whilst all this is going on, Cassidy hits a great springboard cutter on Nick Jackson for a near fall. He's looking to try and tag in Hardy and Page, but they're not there because of what's just happened. Uh, So Omega hits a knee in the corner, the one-wing angel, and the uh, triple BTE trigger to finish him off. I love this opener.
2: This was all kinds of impressive. I was watching Matt Hardy closely here, right? And I tweeted this. The Mega fans will forgive me. Find you someone who looks at you the way the elite look at Matt Hardy's bum card. They could not have structured a match around someone not taking bumps like Matt Hardy in this match. And again, at this stage in his career, he doesn't need to be taking ridiculous punishment. He is unable to take ridiculous punishment. He's not particularly fast, but he knows where he needs to be at all times. And there was just so many moments where it was all about what Matt Hardy wanted to do. If only Ethan Page, his bump card, wasn't there to stop him from doing (laughs) it. Like the moonsault bit was inspired. Like the idea that he's actually going to do one, but obviously couldn't because Ethan Page was like, no, that's too much of a grandstanding showboat moment. You can't do that. It's all about my glory. So they weaved this... Dark arts magic around the idea that Matt Hardy can't do anything. He's bloody going to as well. He's going to show <laughs> out if it wasn't for bloody Ethan Page. So that was quite entertaining. If you're a fan of that story, I'm not. But if you're a fan of that story, it was advanced in a particularly amusing way. And even though he didn't do anything, there was a bit where Omega was about to do his sort of Snapdragon spree. But he got the Hardy last And unfortunately, by that point, Matt Hardy had recovered from taking no bumps and (laughs) managed to fight his way out of it. It was just, if they, like Matt Hardy needed to buy them dinner after this match, to be perfectly honest. I'm not saying he did nothing, but he didn't do anywhere near the same stuff as his younger opponent, which he shouldn't have. No. But he should buy the elite dinner because they managed to not only work around Matt Hardy's limitations, build a story around his limitations, but around the story, around Hardy's limitations, this, particularly in the last three to four minutes, was a really kinetic, lively, improbably dramatic trios match. Yeah. I don't understand how, given the players involved, given the fact that Matt Hardy, through the story and reality, couldn't do much, they still had Isaiah Cassidy and elevated him in the match layout. To appear like such a threat that a he was going to get that knee, he's going to get that pinfall on that Nick Jackson in my head if the pin wasn't broken up, and with a V trigger to the back of the head in the corner, which always looks just delightfully gruesome. <laughs> the one winged angel, I love it in the context of the trios match where Kenny says to himself, seemingly just in case that didn't work. Because this guy's giving us... He's bringing the fight to us. Just in case the 99.9999% effectiveness rate of the one-winged angel fails me, we'll just hit him with the um, BTE trigger. Just in case. I love the implication of he's never going to give away a near fall for that. Why would he against Asaya Cassidy on Rampage? All due respect. I love the implication of... There's always a chance he could kick out on this form. So I think that put over Asaya Cassidy particularly well. This was... A three and a half star match, which was nonetheless the very best possible version you'll ever see of a trios match involving yeah. Matt Hardy, and it just speaks to how incredibly thoughtful and clever and selfless the, uh, the Elite are at structuring these things. This was the obvious highlight of a show that, after this, was pretty rough. Yeah, I just oh it. not rough,
1: boring. Yeah, I love the Ethan Page bit of just like no, I'll hit the twist of fate actually.
2: Yeah. Some Such good awesome. house throughout yeah. here. It was just genuinely the best possible version on several different levels that this match could possibly have been.
1: Uh, Ricky Starks is backstage with Lexi Nair. Uh, he talks about putting his foot in his own mouth. Um, but he's, he's okay with that. And he's got the deck stacked against him again. Um, he accepts the terms of the Garcia Guevara gauntlet. Sorry. Uh, for this week's Dynamite. He'll do whatever it takes to beat Jericho and get out of the web of Jericho.
2: A bit shaky, I thought, this from Ricky Starks.
1: I'm, I'm not surprised he's feel a bit, feeling a bit a bit undermined because it was just, we've said this a million times, this feud didn't need to go any further past.
2: This feud is not good. This feud is pretty boring and maybe he's trying to be entertaining with every single quip because um, he's trying to overcompensate for the fact that Interest in the Starks character is low as a result of this. We said it on the Dynamite review at this point. The dithering, the various permutations of every match, this group of talents in the characters, we just see it all of the time. It's a cliche. And I think Starks was a bit shaky in this promo because he's trying to overcorrect, overcompensate, quip, 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 quip. And some of it didn't land. Um, just get this over with. Mm. Get this over with.
1: It's also very awkward that they're in the midst of doing a, you have to beat all these people to get to me storyline. At the same time, they're doing the, you have to beat all these people to get to me storyline with the world title as well. Yeah,
2: and the fact that they've done it. You have to get to me by beating all of these people. Has there ever genuinely in AEW history, take away, right, we'll say Dynamite history because it didn't really have the TV time that you need to kind of eat into before TV started, funnily enough. Um, when did this start? Between the Dynamite premiere and Full Gear, obviously, and it was very fresh at the time, they had lots of matches involving members of the Inner Circle and the Elite, that preserved the actual pay per view matches and it was really novel and it was really cool. When was the first you have to beat everyone in my stable to get to me? Was it Chris Jericho and John Moxley? Yeah, it feels like that. That was early 2020. I like to consider myself an AEW historian of sorts. I can't off the top of my head confirm this, but even if there hasn't always being a storyline like this going on, it's n- it's never been too far away right. ever. Like Danielson, Dark Order, uh, MGF has done it quite a lot, but it's it's his gimmick. It should be reserved yeah. exclusively for him. Um, seen it one million times. It's really becoming worn, and if they have to do it at this point they should keep it exclusive to MJF because that way, one, you get these awesome Danielson matches. And if you were to have a feud with Adam Cole, you could do someone who's, you could do a series of people who have inflicted head injuries yeah, in AEW. And that could be, like, you know, there's different ways of doing it, but it should be kept exclusive to MJF because if people are getting tired of it, he can lean into that in a sort of a meta way as this heel mm-hmm. to get, one, the good TV and two, that kind of... Rating Meta Heat It should be MGF's domain This Because I'm uh, Ricky Starks Can he be Cool Hand Ange
1: <laughs> Well we'll preview that Yeah on, yeah, yeah
2: Will we Can we just skip Imagine skipping On a preview Might have to Might bloody have to now
1: um, There's uh, Dueling promos Next from uh, Jeff Jarrett's Gang Gaggler bastards With the Golden Globe That you can't see anymore they show you the box But they won't show you What's inside of it Very nice to touch that Um they talk about how happy they are about nicking this and ruining, what's his name? Paul Walterhausen. Hauser. He's got Hauser. Hauser. Hauser and I'm. I'm it's Hauser. I know I'm merging them <laughs> in my head. Uh, his, uh, his, what they did to him, basically, his guitar shot. <sighs> it's awesome. We'd love to do that if you're a, a
2: wrestling fan. Oh, so cool. We've already said, and if there any wrestlers listen to this, they're probably just thinking about the worst kind of marks. I want to take a table bump. Okay? Yeah. Please arrange that for me. <laughs> I know how it's done. <laughs> and I want it to happen to me. <laughs> What's that, uh, Jesus? I've seen what you've done for other people, and now I wanted to, you to do it for me. I wanted to go through a table, goddammit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: but Dan Housen's furious at the fact that he had Satnam Singh beat in his own words, um, until he got attacked by a Grammy. It's not a Grammy, he's a Golden Globe, silly. <sighs> Run it back.
2: I don't mind. It was fun Do, do the singles time. match. Do Danhausen versus Satnam. Satnam goes over. They remember that they've won a trios match and put Jarrett, Satnam, and Jay against the elite. Oh
0: my god. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god.
2: Three. Rule of three. Do it three times. Yeah.
0: One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com.
1: Before we go any further, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses. they can be a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash whatculture. Then it was time for uh, Isaiah Swerve Strickland versus Brian Pillman Jr., um and uh, well, I was surprised by uh, how much offense Pullman got in this match. If I'm perfectly honest, because it's
2: too bloody much. If anything,
1: <laughs> it seemed like uh, the story heading into this was, um, yes, yeah, were hates hate second generation wrestlers or well, what are they called? I always forget the
2: name. Nepo babies. Yeah.
1: Um, but uh, yeah, he, Brian Pullman Jr. got a lot of offense here. Um, but the story of it was that uh, as much as he was hitting drop kicks and high flying stuff, and what have you, Swerve was just just zeroing in on uh, his knee, and he attacks the leg, um, especially during this this the picture in picture. Um, Pillman gets a near fall off a super kick, gets Swerve up for a Freiman's carry, but Swerve escapes, and again go, goes after the knee, and now Pillman is really struggling to even put any weight on it. He tries to go up top, uh, but then Trench, who um, we're lucky enough to have a word with it in a second, actually. Trench distracts the ref. Uh, Parker Boudreaux pulls Pillman off the top off the top, onto the spills onto the apron. Look like that bump sucked. Um, especially after it was followed by the Death Valley driver on the ring apron by Swerve, who comes off the top. Uh, Pillman can see it coming, but can't do anything about it with that double stomp. For the one, two, three post match, they rough up Pullman even more. Looks like they're going to just destroy him. Who should run out to make the save? But Dustin Rhodes carrying a bit of turnbuckle with him. And what do you make of uh, Swerve and the Mogul affiliates?
2: Uh, not much. It's I'm glad that Swerve Swerve and everything he does individually is interesting. And again, I understand it. He wants to be a prick to Dustin Rhodes. Dustin Rhodes is not a Dustin Rhodes is an eternally sympathetic figure. Yeah. He was sympathetic before coming into AEW. Um Andy Murray always puts it that he's a honourable babyface who marches to his doom and that's just great to get heels over. People still remember how fundamental, quietly, fundamental, not quietly actually, very fundamental in the success of AEW. I think everyone watched that Dustin versus Cody match and thought, right, this is it. Great. The best debut show of all time. You've got a soul now. You've got the, you've hit the peak of what pro wrestling storytelling can be. People will always remember and revere Dustin Rhodes for his contributions to early AEW. So I like the program. It's good to get Swerve heated up using this program before Keith Lee. It's a very very, like thin connection of the Nepo Baby thing to have an opponent for Pillman Junior. In Pillman Jr., rather, and I thought this match was just there. Like, and again, I thought the ratio of offense, not to go full Ryan Satin, you don't ever want to appear (laughs) like Ryan Satin, but the ratio of offense was off for me. Mm. I'm not saying Swerve Strickland's finished, I'm not saying his career's over, I'm just saying that I don't necessarily think this was the best use of that character that week. Um, One thing's funny about Pillman Jr., there's like, it's a running joke that he's a bit of a clown. And it's almost funny when he gets ideas above his station. So when he did the spot where Swerve attempted the drop down, Pillman Jr. stepped on his back and sort of did a pose and then just got, like, an elbow right in the the But uh, And then he got his head stoved in with that wonderful Swerve kick and then he got beat with that great finisher. Um, This was elevation-tier stuff Mm. with an angle at the end. Like it wasn't tremendously exciting in and of itself. It seemed to go long for the sake of the fact that, well, there can't all be squashes on TV, and you already had a squash match on the night. A victim of format and sequencing. Hmm. And I've argued before that with its booking, AEW was sometimes more cute than effective. They like to do hometown stuff great when it services the characters yeah. and the story. They like to do... Um, Hometown stuff, which this was, it was in Ohio, and they like to create sometimes links and conceits between the opponents of certain wrestlers on a certain character arc. It's cute, but I don't think it's effective for Swerve to be... Because Pillman Jr.'s character is a chump. He's a geek. He was getting done in by uh, the guns within less than a minute alongside Griff Garrison, who's disappeared, and that was meant to catalyze a story in which Arn Anderson was tutting on a monitor backstage. Look at these geeks. The implication being, I'm going to get something out of these geeks and stop them being geeks one day. Dropped, abandoned, and now Pillman Jr. is still a geek, and that's fine. I like watching geeks get annihilated. I don't like geeks getting too much offense in.
1: Hmm. I think that's a fair assessment. I'm in this with Dustin, though. Um, but as I said, I just play a bit of footage um, from something that we recorded over the weekend. I got, was very lucky to uh, have a brief chat with uh, Trench, one of the mogul affiliates. Uh, so I'll just play that for you now. Yes, thanks, future me, here with Trench from Mogul Affiliates. Uh, Trench, fantastic performance from yourself, the Mogul Affiliates, and in particular Swerve Strickland in that victory over Brian Pillman Jr., which uh, you were actually quite influential in, in turning the tide in Swerve's favour. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. And uh, one final question before we wrap things up here. Um, have you ever tried peas?
2: Yeah, I had peas before.
1: Thank you very much, Trench. What did you make of that?
2: By uh, nice uh, man. A few words, very impactful with his words, though. That before and after photo is unbelievable in it on the internet. Um, Look, I like that we live in a society where people can do what they want with their own bodies, provided that they have the consent of others and you're not necessarily thought of as a bad or a dangerous person. In this context, yes, I like to think his wrestling character is. <laughs> yes. But, you know. Um,
1: I wanted to know your thoughts on what came next, actually, because there was a uh, spooky bollocks um, thing from Malachi Black um, talking load of nonsense um, about what they wanted from Eddie Kingston. They didn't actually want him to join the House of Black. They just wanted to prove he could be corrupted. And uh, Why doesn't
2: he want to win a title?
1: I don't know. I thought you'd come in with something like this.
2: Why does he want to corrupt people? Why is he the fiend? Why can't he just simply want to win championships in a wrestling promotion? How way? Why, I don't know why this Malachi Black... There's probably some incredibly detailed theory as to why the character wants to corrupt people and that might, you know... Underscore what he thinks of humanity. And he's... I I don't care. If you're not there to win championships, sit on the bench. Yeah, I thought you might be... uh, I just don't get it. I just don't understand what this character seeks to achieve in this promotion. I think it's an uneasy alliance between promotion, why the promotion exists, and character, and what this character seeks to achieve. Because... It just makes no sense that he's in AEW. It's one thing to have a wide range of characters who approach the artistic medium differently, but if you're not there to win titles or anything. Checks and championships. Yeah. Um,
1: Right, let's see what happened next and who got their ass licked Uh, because it was the Renegade Twins versus Soraya. I'm never going to let them forget that, am I? uh, Renegade Twins versus Soraya and Tony Storm. Uh, Robin Renegades. I can never remember which one it was. They sent the tweet. I think it was Charlotte that said, "Watch my sister lick some ass." Lick some ass this week. Anyway, the the one with the curly hair because they were like, "How oh, can you tell the difference?" And you, I think Galib was like, uh, "Curly hair." So that's what it was. Anyway, um, Hair and Tony Storm start out and uh, um, back and forth stuff between the two of them. Storm takes the referee as Soraya just nails uh, Robin in the ribs with some knees, uh, and then Storm sends her out to the floor with that running hip attack. Soraya comes in, hits some short-arm clotheslines. Um, Storm comes in and hits Rob- uh, and locks her in a full Nelson on the mat. Um, but Robin fights out of it, hits an Intaguri, and then brings in her sister. Uh, Charlotte hits a pair of clotheslines, but gets hit with a shotgun dropkick from Storm. Storm hits the running hip attack on Charlotte, and... Um, Sarah hits her with a thrust kick. Storm Zero pile driver from Tony Storm gets the victory for their team. Post match, they just lay both of them out and pull out NWO style, pull out some spray paint to uh spray paint an L on these sisters' stom- stomachs.
2: Uh look, I'll tell you one thing. Even though the ratio of offense was similar to that of the match that I criticized, I liked it here because it was basically, all right, okay, you're going to hit us really hard. We're harder. Yeah. And we're much better. So we're going to make very, very short work of you. So this was unfussy, physical, uh, not dramatic, but just fun to watch them unload on each other. And I'll tell you one thing, not a hot take at this point. Saraya as a heel, one million times better in every single facet than baby Babyface. She actually looks like she's hurting people with her offense. I thought that Britt Baker match was, she looked like she wasn't doing anything to Baker. Like, nothing with her moves. I still think her short arm clotheslines are a bit stilted. She doesn't necessarily, like, lunge into them like a hater. She kind of stands still and upright and just Let's the opponent fall. So I'd like to see a move forward with your left foot, <laughs> and then just boom, put them down. So it's a bit. She just looks a bit funny when she does it. But those knees to the midsection. They look great. I'll tell you one thing as well. The Tony Storm exchanges in this match with the with the Renegade that she was in the ring with. It's been what two full days since I watched this. Were <laughs> genuinely classed. Everything Tony Storm looks legit. Um, I was. Very worried after the full gear match when I watched Soraya versus Baker and thought, my God, just when the division quality is increasing, Soraya's not there to do mid-card matches on Rampage. She's there to be in title matches. I was really worried about the, the match quality of whatever she does in the ring after that fact. This heel turn has completely reinvigorated her. And I think Soraya... Even if her stuff doesn't always look great, it looks a damn sight better than it did. And I think her attitude and her presence in that ring versus a baby-faced Jamie yeah. Hayter, that's going to be a very, very good match. And I'm really looking forward to it because that seems inevitable for Revolution.
1: <laughs> Where she was like, she's crazy. Get her away from me. And point to the other Renegade sister. It's like, you're cheating every chance you get. It's, it's good stuff. What did you make of them channeling the NWO doing the old uh, spray paint gimmick?
2: Any kind of heat angle, if you like, that I've not seen in quite some time, I'm into. I like the idea of Baker getting the L on her. I don't hate it. It's a bit lame, but I don't hate it. Another gimmick
1: there to spray in people's eyes or whatever if you want to do a cheap finish yeah. to something. So, uh, Right, then we got a promo, another one from Adam Cole, teasing his return at Revolution. Um, and then... He uh, earned quite a fair bit of money tonight, uh, Mark Henry, because he had a lot to say, but eventually, after a video package and Daniel saying blah, 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 we got... Well, looks like we've had enough talk. It's time for the main event. Roosh versus Christopher Daniels. Who um, He won. The Roosh victory in this. Uh, Daniels got a bit of offence in early on. Uh, hit a pay to take us to our first break. Uh, but you'll never guess what happened during the break, Sige. <laughs>
2: what, what happened?
1: The, ba- the heels uh, used the numbers advantage to take Christopher Daniels down. And then Roosh choked him with some cables. In fact, I think they all choked him with some cables at one point. Bright green cables, <laughs> nonetheless. I have seen them before uh right he dominates him uh, after the break um we with the use of his lackeys as well Roosh kicks into the floor uh, preston vance slaps him with money from the briefcase that they already got from mj i think they said there was five more promised if he could deliver it this wednesday um but as it looks like jose the assistant and preston were just going to kick daniel's ass on the outside he avoids a pump kick from uh, Preston Vance, who kicks uh, Jose the assistant. Jose the assistant, uh, and then um, Vance gets sent into the post. I think it was, and uh, Christopher Daniels throws the assistant into the ring to distract Roosh to allow him to get a roll up for a near fall. Um, that fires Christopher Daniels back up. He hits a blue thunder bomb for a two count. Roosh comes back with a super kick. Daniels hits a Death Valley Driver for a near fall. He also gets Roosh in the Koji clutch, but Vance leans in and puts Roosh's foot on the that top rope. That was so obvious. Daniel's hitting a Uranagi Went for the uh, BME best moonsault ever, but Roosh gets his knees up, super, suplex him into the corner, and then hits, to be fair, a mint bull's horns uh, to get the pinfall victory. But uh, yeah, you weren't, a, you weren't doing backflips over this domination of Christopher Daniels by Roosh in the main event. Domination. Yeah. Needed
2: two people on the outside I suppose, yeah. to get him back into the match. I Tell you what, talk about last-minute winners. Talk about last-minute bloody winners, right? Because I was watching this match, and there's something about the modern hybrid super indie style. Very reductive, but that's what I'm going with when it comes to Daniels, okay? There's something about watching someone who not only is synonymous with that style, but pretty much popularized slash pioneered it. Like struggling through that kind of match because it makes me feel really old. It doesn't feel like two years ago when I was just buying my ROH DVDs and watching Daniels just be this great, very influential pro wrestler. I don't think that style lends itself to the veteran because it's still, to me, so futuristic. Because it's a high, at its best, it's this ridiculously athletic style. Watching someone do super indie ROH work at this speed, I know it feels depressing in a way that I can't really articulate. And that was much of Daniel's in this match, unfortunately. He's got that kind of vibe where, are you selling or are you just knackered? <laughs> There's certain moves that because it's so advanced still, because it takes so much out of the people doing it that when he kind of like collapses into a cover, it doesn't feel like desperation from a performance point of view, but it feels like he's just genuinely gassed trying to do the style that is a young man's game. Yeah. Like wrestling in itself is a young man's game, but you can't corny this style and it often just feels lethargic and a a bit bleak. I'll tell you what, though, the last two minutes of this were really good. Yeah. And when I talk about last minute winners, I'm watching like these that cable on the outside <laughs> it might be might as well be color coded. And I'm sorry for the second use of alliteration, but color coded green is for gimmicks. Green wire, I've never seen it. Only when Roosh does it. These things, it's just so fake. I find it so fake and so like uh, spot show. Yeah, it's this thing that you has to do every single time. I always wonder where the referees are as well. Every week he does it. The cheating here in terms of me buying the referee, being distracted, was taking the piss. <laughs> Not only did that happen so often, there was at least three different times, or four different times between the wire, the money, the two separate Jose and Vance spots where the referee was being distracted, the foot on the rope. One, the referee's an idiot, even by AEW standards. He's an idiot. Yeah. Ritually falling for this, but did Daniels need this much protection? I understand that he's beloved within the locker room and he's management, but come on, the idea is I'm meant to think that Roosh can take out Danielson next week. And if he's laboring with assistance to put over Daniels, who's pretty finished, it's sad to say, then that is bad storytelling for me. I'm never going to think realistically that Roosh is going to beat Daniels, uh, beat Danielson. But, come on, make me think it. Yeah. So I think thought, the
1: reason why I, th- I was talking about him destroying Christopher Daniels was that bull, bulls-horns. Yes,
2: thing. but that's the last-minute winner because I was thinking, right, okay, maybe they are trying to tell you that if there's an even thicker referee, <laughs> then he might beat Danielson next week, which is not that ideal a story, to be honest. But maybe that's what they were going with here. Um, but, yeah, the last-minute winner, I'm thinking, this is boring This is lethargic. It's almost a bit bleak. It's also inessential because we know who's winning. We know why he's winning. It's all very, very inessential, functional, boring fair. And then the BME looked great. God bless Daniels. He knows how to do that move still. And, you know, I feel bad about burying him this much, but it just wasn't good, and he hasn't been that good for a while now. The whole idea of this match, right, the reason it existed for you to watch and say, oh, Danielson's in trouble because look, Roosh beat Christopher Daniels. Okay, let's go with it. It's very obligatory. When he did that bull's horns, I'm thinking, all right, okay, that's a concussion. I'm (laughs) going to be scared on behalf of Danielson when Roosh aims that in his face, much less connects. I will get the palpitations there. So yes, 90 plus seven injury time after a very boring score draw, you get the exhilaration and the quality at the end. Roosh grabbed this match by the scruff of the neck. All right, <laughs> <Very> Goofy. <laughs> and then, uh, one. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, pretty 6 out of 10 episode of Elevation this
1: yeah fair enough Let's uh, know your thoughts uh, on AEW Rampage on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE watch well, that you can follow both of us you can follow Michael Sidgwick at M Sidgwick. follow me at Adam Wilborn follow us all at WhatCultureWWE uh, and make sure you subscribe to what Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts the Smackdown review is available right now uh, me and Hanflet going to be talking NXT Vengeance Day a little bit later on and then all three of us will be back to look ahead to tonight's episode of Monday night, right? for now, this has been the Rampage Review. My thanks to Michael Sidgwick. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm, Hello Fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started
2: this message comes from bof sponsor ebay you'll know real when you get it it'll say ebay authenticity guarantee and you'll feel it maybe it's a head-turning handbag a watch that says it all